0: Support for SoundRider and the SoundRider Show is made possible in part by Skagit Sports, where you'll find one of the largest selections of new and used motorcycles, apparel, and gear in the North Sound. Skagit Sports provides a relaxed atmosphere and no-pressure sales staff to get you into your next bike simply and quickly. And that's why they are consistently voted the top dealer in the Pacific Northwest by Sound Riders year after year. Visit them in Burlington today or find them online at SkagitPowersports.com. This is Rob from Motofit Group. Welcome to The Sound Rider Show.
1: And now live from the Crow's Nest studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of The Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today.
2: Well, it's 2017 on the Soundrider Show, and I am here with publisher-elect Tom Marin, of course, and we're talking (laughs) motorcycles. We're talking everything that's going to be coming down the pike here in 2017, and we're talking the good life because we're talking motorcycles all day long. Tom, how are you?
3: I'm good. Good. I'm just getting over the holidays still.
2: That's right. Getting over the holidays. Did you get any good motorcycle goodies from uh, Santa this year?
3: Uh, Zero.
2: Zero. Zero. as a new Zero Motorcycle. I had a really good you. prime rib
3: right. with you on, on Christmas Eve. Though.
2: We certainly did. We celebrated oh, a, a very nice, successful year here at SoundRider, and thanks to all the listeners and readers for that. And uh, we also talked about looking forward a little bit, which is, I think, uh, what we're going to do at some point here in this opening segment. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happened in December. There's a lot of things that there's are... There's
3: a lot of things going on.
2: A lot of stuff going on, and there's a lot of stuff that's going to be happening in January um including the Portland Film Festival, a uh, motorcycle film festival which is going to be coming up at the end of the month here.
3: So we got a little problem with that.
2: And what's the problem?
3: I got two tickets to the event. Right. And it turns out that's the same weekend I'm visiting my son and my grandson. And that's going to be that's down in California, so yeah. that's kind of a
2: no-go for you. Yeah, well, so
3: Yeah. So um and you're in the middle of a job search. Sure. So the plan, I guess, is uh, you're going and you're taking someone. I have no idea who. Right. Uh, and if you end up getting a job, then we're going to put a contest up on Facebook and somebody can win those two tickets. And they're for both Friday night and Saturday night, and it's the pre-party each night.
2: Right. Too. So <laughs> for everybody that's listening, there may or may not be a there contest. May be. Right. And uh, if there isn't, then uh, you can look forward to a nice sort of uh, wrap-up and recap from me and the, uh, f- on the February show. And, um, and
3: you know that's how I like to do it here. I like to yeah. bring the readers into, into the new year and put them in limbo right away. Right. So.
2: And second contest, uh, there is a suitcase with a million dollars in it that we may or may not spend – so if yeah if we don't <laughs> spend it then. <laughs> then there'll be a contest
3: <laughs> for that one watch the twitter feed the that's right one, you watch the facebook feed.
2: well you can watch the twitter feed you can watch the <laughs> facebook feed or you can sign up and subscribe like we had uh so many people do in december it was really a huge month for new subscriptions to the site which is a great great thing
3: yeah so we uh, we put up a thing on the social media and said hey uh, December is a great time If you don't already have a free subscription to soundwriter, sign up for one. And if you do and you know someone else who needs one, sign them up. Yeah, and uh, you know that's something that is still going strong even right now. Here we are on, the, on about the last day of December recording the show. Um, and you know it's it's always free to subscribe and it's always free to subscribe your friends And if somebody doesn't want it, they can always do the opt out later. But uh, uh, feel free, you know, here it is the winter. We don't have a whole lot to do. Give your friend, you know, you got all these friends you forgot to get stuff for for That's Christmas. Right. So, uh, so go on give them something that doesn't cost you
2: anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's uh, a couple of quick things, too, that I'd like to note just for people who are listening who might not be subscribers. One is that, you know, we keep uh, the email address in house here. So you don't uh, get that farmed out. You're not going to get hit with a lot of spam or anything right. like that. Uh, but also pretty much what we do is we we update you when the new issue comes out so you know to head on over and that you can read all the latest and greatest uh, articles that we put up each month. And also we send out, uh, you know, promotions and that kind of stuff for the Soundwriter Store because we do some great discounts and that kind of stuff. And we have some great new products coming in that uh, people, I think, that are interested in the sport are going to want to know about.
3: Yeah. And when you, get, when you sign up, you get put on both lists and you can opt out. If you don't want to get the store news, you can just opt out. Right. Or if you want to get the store news and not get the newsletter. Yes. I don't know.
2: That's right. Well, you You have your options, and you can always opt out if you'd like, but uh, we have uh, literally uh, thousands and thousands of people signed up to that, and we'd love to have you uh, sign up as well if you haven't already.
3: So back at the beginning of December, this um, video came up that you became aware of, yeah, and we went ahead and and put it up on social media and uh, got a lot of response out of that. It did. This was the one where the... The one guy is- So,
2: basically, I'll, I'll run the uh, listeners through it real quick. There was a, uh, a gentleman who was in his car pulling out of a gas station. Behind him was a motorcyclist. Uh, the car had left both his wallet and his cell phone on top of it. So, the motorcyclist kindly uh, stopped, picked them up, and then sort of raced ahead uh, and went side by side with the car. The car, at first, thought that the motorcyclist was being a jerk. And uh, once he saw that the motorcyclist was waving both his wallet and his cell phone at it, he pulled over. The uh, motorcyclist kindly handed the gentleman his no, wallet. Now, now,
3: wait a second. Now, when he when he thought he was being a jerk, don't forget to mention that he flipped him off. He flipped him
2: off. Yes, that's right. The driver flipped off the motorcycle rider. We we have a POV view from the motorcycle rider, so I don't know he if he... had the, a
3: GoPro up on the helmet.
2: Right, so I don't know if the rider gave the finger back or not. I doubt it because he had the wallet and the yeah, phone in one hand. Yeah, his hands full. Yeah, and his uh, throttle... In the other. Uh, so the gentleman pulled over in the car. The motorcyclist stopped, handed him his wallet. The guy said, Thank you very much. And then he stuck the phone out, the motorcyclist did, and he kind of gave it a little toss in the air and uh, sped off.
3: Yeah. And that was the video. So it was kind of like two guys being jackasses. Well, yeah, a little bit. I mean, th- the reality. I don't think that's necessarily karma. I think that's two guys being jerks.
2: Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, the reality is, is. I don't think anything happened to the phone. The guy got his wallet back. He didn't take any money out or anything. It's it's not meant to be a commentary on other th- on anything other than just to give you a light chuckle during the day. And that's what it did for me when I first saw it. So yeah. But I don't know. Have you ever had anything like that happen to you? Have you ever had any? Uh- even another motorcyclist speed off and things fall off the back of their uh, their vehicle or their car or anything like that? It
3: happens with my sunglasses all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. I take them off and I put them on the trunk on the back or something. Sure. Then I get ready to leave and I forget to put them on. And all of a sudden I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Where did they go? Right. But uh, nobody ever caught up with me and handed them back to me. I just always had to go back and get them.
2: Yeah. But you have found them before. You've done some recovery, huh? Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well... Hey, and you know, um, <clears throat> one time we were uh, all riding down in the gorge around the uh, uh, Trout Lake area. Yeah. We were, uh, it was a group of us, and uh, it was me and Connie and about six or seven other riders. Sure. And so um, we stopped for gas, and then everybody got back on their bikes, and I, I was the one leading, so I took off. And about a minute later, I looked back, and there was nobody behind me. Hmm. So I went back to the gas station, and everybody's pointing at Connie and saying, Hey, you forgot to put her on the bike. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, but, but nobody flipped me off. I was going to say, did, no, did anybody flip you off? Uh, well, <laughs> a great amount of patience. I guess at least you were only gone for uh, a minute or two there. But uh, that is uh, probably the most important piece of uh, cargo. That uh, you need to remember, if you're riding two up, you should always check, double check for your passenger
3: there. Yeah, it's okay to leave your sunglasses or your cell phone or whatever, but don't forget your passenger. Right.
2: <laughs> they <laughs> frown upon that. Um, but, you know, we we're talking about uh, riding two up a little bit here. Another uh, article that got uh, some traction last month was a little write-up on some of the 300cc motorcycles that are coming down the bike yeah, here. you wrote that. I did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's something that we talk about quite a bit here on the show and, uh, uh, you know, sort of in the office around here at Soundrider, uh, just kind of, you know, maybe the need for some more lighter weight bikes,
3: um, or with a 21-inch even... wheel, please. Yeah, with a 21-inch Because I have a 250 dual sport, but it's right. only got like a like an 18 or maybe a 19 in the front. Sure. And it's just not enough. I need a 21-inch wheel up front. But I, I do want more power than 250.
2: Right. Well, I agree with you there. And that's actually why I ride the DR350 because it does have a 21-inch front wheel mm-hmm. and uh, has a little bit over that 300cc mark. But it looks like uh, a lot of these aren't going to quite have the 21 21- inch wheel on them but there is a lot of uh development it seems as far as you know maybe some lower displacement bikes what was kind of your take on some of those
3: um well they are what they are without the 21 inch front wheel these yeah. were dual sport bikes you were you were highlighting primarily
2: well they were kind of they were kind of a mix i mean they were uh you know the 310 bmw they're not really marketing so much as a dual sport but i think People would probably be sort of inclined to do that. Yeah,
3: it's got a bit of a dual sport look to it. It
2: certainly does, and it's then like
3: a little baby GS. Yeah,
2: and then the uh, the Versus uh, three hundred.
3: Yeah, and everybody takes the Versus and wants to take it off road, even though honestly yeah. the bigger Versus are really made as a, as a nice touring bike. And if you want to do a fire road shortcut, it's it's okay. That's but, right. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where that all winds up. You know, Honda has a two fifty with a twenty one inch front wheel on a dual sport. Right. So if they can do it with a 250, anybody can do it with a 300 or higher.
2: Well, that was another one of the bikes on the list, actually, was the uh, two, the CRF250L, mm. which is sort of rally-inspired. Your new
3: rally-inspired yep. bike, yeah. and It has
2: the windshield on it and everything like that. That was kind of, I think, my personal favorite on the list there, and I think it's something they'll probably get uh, pretty good traction with. Um, that's kind of one of the downfalls, not something that's new, but the WR250R from Yamaha is uh, just a little small in stature.
3: Yeah, that's the problem. See, when you want to take them up on the highway, you're going to really be pushing them to go 70 miles an hour. Some of them will do it, but uh, but others will only do like 60 if you're lucky. Right.
2: Others you will be struggling. But I thought it was interesting because that had, um, particularly on Facebook, got a lot of reaction, and there seemed to be a lot of positive feedback that people were eagerly anticipating, so maybe lighter weight uh, and maybe even lower-cost bikes, I suppose.
3: Yeah. Yeah, well, I think th- I think it will keep seeing them in yeah. the future. Here, um, another another. You know, December got so busy, mm-hmm. and we had the social media pipeline so stacked we never got to get into the photo contest
2: the soundwriter photo contest so
3: that is going to happen during january you can watch the facebook feed for that right uh you and i will sit down today and go through the photos and pick the ones that are going to go into the people's choice category and um we'll also pick our winners in our subcategories and then we'll have the people's choice uh first couple of weeks of of january and by february we'll announce all the winners
2: well i'm excited to get through there you know I- I saw a couple of the early entrants and uh, there was a few good ones in there. And I understand that some really nice ones have come in over the uh, last couple of weeks in December as well. So I'm excited to look through there and see what the uh, listeners and the readers have been out doing you know i want to see some of those
3: photos so it's uh it's a new year Mm -hmm. uh and you know i know last year we did a show about you know things to do in the new year to better yourself and we're not going to do that show this year right so anybody who wants to listen to that show from last year it's in the archive go in and listen to it we had a lot of good ideas about education yeah and, and that sort of thing
2: but fresh content here on the Soundwriter show
3: but uh, I thought it'd be fun this year if we, if you and I each came up with a New Year's prediction. Okay. Well, do you have a New
2: Year's prediction? I do. Okay. Do you want to start? Let's hear what you got.
3: I predict you're going to get a new motorcycle this year. You think so? I think you're going to be ready to move on from that DR350 and get a new bike. A second motorcycle or a new? Well, it might be a second or okay. you may just do a, a, a total switch out.
2: Uh, I you, a second would be a possibility, I think, but I got to tell you, I'm pretty much, I am in love with that DR350. Every time I walk by it, uh, I just, it pulls on my heartstrings. And- it's just
3: the places that you like to go in order to get to them, you have to use the interstate, and I know you hate that thing on the interstate. You can't <laughs> well, even take it on the interstate.
2: Oh, I take it on the interstate. Uh, it it is, just
3: burns it up.
2: It is know. not a, uh, it is not designed for the interstate by any stretch of the imagination, but um, but maybe, you know, maybe a second bike. Do you have any suggestions for me? What do you think? Or what would, let's ask you this. What would your prediction be on a second bike for me?
3: Hmm. Yeah. hadn't thought about that, All but right. but uh, I don't know. I, 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 you might be a KLR kind of guy. You might yeah. also want to go get one of those uh, CB500Xs sure. with the rally raid kit on it. Find a yeah. used one of those.
2: And then head down and see Harold over at uh, Giant yeah. Loop and yeah. get set up there. Well, that would be, I mean, that would be the 500 would be something that's interesting. The KLR is too, but honestly, I think the DR350 performance wise is pretty on par with that thing. And I think that it's about 120 pounds lighter.
3: Um mm, maybe so yeah and a lot of old technology in the klr
2: yeah well i think it's... if
3: you're going to move to another bike you want something with a little more new technology
2: right so but we'll see i mean uh this this may be the year and you know we didn't uh discuss this before the show we just kind of discussed the general topic that we're going to make new year's predictions i have a prediction um and this is a kind of related to that it's a little technical and it goes a little more global in thought here but i think that uh, a lot of new motorcycles, we're going to see cheaper discounts up front and higher interest rates because they're talking about raising the interest rates.
3: Okay, that's a doable prediction. Yeah. I think you're right.
2: So I think that's something that we're going to see. But if you're going to buy a bike with cash, this may be a good year to do it. Uh, because they may be offering a little more front-end incentives to try to get you, to get many riders out uh, of sort of that financing plan and make a little more money.
3: And you might want to do it while you still have a job.
2: Yes. That's always good, you know. <laughs> or not. You know, sometimes you just got to roll with the punches. There's, those motorcycle riders, they're uh, free spirits, right?
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, let's uh, let's take a little break. And when we come back, we'll do the News bite segment.
0: On The Sound Rider Show. Stick around. Support for The Sound Rider Show is provided in part by... Moon Motorcycles, a family-run operation located in Issaquah, Washington. Moon Motorcycles features a diverse selection of used bikes to choose from. Whether you're shopping for a used sport bike, cruiser, dual sport, sport touring, or street standard, you owe it to yourself to visit Moon Motorcycles and look over their large inventory. Have you got a used bike you want to consign? Get in touch with Moon Motorcycles today. Hi, this is Eric from Bell Helmets, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show.
1: Hi. Al Brooks here uh, from Surrey BC. Um, lovely day here in British Columbia, not to tell all the people that live elsewhere about that, but uh, one of my favorite riding places is Central Oregon, John Day area. I go there usually once a year, twice a year and ride all around the roads there. Lots of curvy roads for uh, road, road guys and lots of gravel roads for adventure touring guys and beautiful scenery.
3: We are back with the Soundwriter Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with Derek Roberts, and it's the January 2017 show, number 1701. Hard to believe we're already here, man. So uh, we got some exciting stuff going on on the show today. Uh, we're going to have some really special guests here. We're going to have uh, Delveni Manning, who is an AMA representative for the Bonneville Motorcycle Speed Trials. So She's t- going to come in. And we'll talk a little land speed racing with her. We're going to talk land speed racing with her, that's and super then exciting. on top of that, we got Bill Woods coming in with uh, sodium distortions. So that's the local race team for the Bonneville land speed, and um, he's going to be talking about what goes on with the race team. In both cases, we'll be talking about how people could get involved with either the AME side of this or with the local team side of it.
2: Well, you know, I'm really looking forward to that because land speed racing, uh, they, you know, that's kind of a, a genre of motorcycling that I don't know too much about. So I'm really excited to get into that with both of them. I understand Bill's a racer himself, and then, of course, uh, Delevingne, who works with the AMA. The AMA actually sanctions the records, is my understanding. Yeah. So it'll be kind of a nice, comprehensive overview here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Now, and, it- you know,
3: we have a lot of readers who like to get involved in events. Yeah. And so this may be something that people hadn't thought about, and we're just going to plant the seeds. And
2: we also apparently have broadcasters who are looking for second motorcycles in 2017, so maybe land speed would be the way to go for me, right?
3: <laughs> yeah or maybe you could modify that dr 350 and get a land speed record on a, on like a stock yeah uh you know the stock class
2: i i uh you know i've gone down some pretty steep mountain passes in that i may already have that record i think it's about 79 miles an hour
3: well, uh, it's a little different because you'll be on the salt. It'll be flat, right. and you have rear suspension, and it doesn't like it doesn't like salt.
2: Well, so. I'm pretty confident that uh, if I hunch over and drop maybe three or four pounds, I can get that thing up to at least eighty.
3: But before we get to that interview, uh, speaking of the AMA, the AMA has now officially sanctioned snow bike racing as one of their racing categories. You know, I
2: saw that you put that up on the uh, on the news feed here. Um, what do you make of that? That's a pretty fast uh, integration into sanctioned racing. When did we first see the snow bike? Well, hit? the
3: snow bikes have been going on for maybe five or seven years. Right. There's a guy named Ron Dillon over in Idaho who puts on yep. the big nasty hill climb. Sure. And so Ron has been having the races out in McCall, Idaho, for I think about five years, maybe even more. Right. With the timber sleds and that sort of thing. And then we saw that uh, uh, was it. Polaris bought the Timber Sled Company. Yep. So we're seeing this momentum going, uh, and Ron works hard. He, you know, he puts on several hero climbs here in the Pacific Northwest. He's put together this whole series of snow bike races for 2017 and, uh, and they don't just happen here in the Pacific Northwest. They go out as far as the, as the Midwest. Sure. So, um, it's nice to see the evolution going. It's nice to see AMA come in. I think it's 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 still maybe a little early, but to get them on the front end rather than way later is going to help to push that momentum even more. Now,
2: well, it's really kind of a, p- a pioneering effort, and uh, I agree with you. It's nice to see them sort of get maybe a little bit ahead of the curve. Uh, really, just a fascinating piece of technology, too. I mean, I I, I know it's recreational and um, and that sort of thing, but. It's just such a cool setup. I mean, that you could just take a dual sport bike, a KTM or something like that, put the ski on it, and then ride all year round. And track in the and on months. the back, yeah, and the track on the back, of yeah. course. Um, but it's just it's, it's it's awesome. So I really look forward to and seeing. And
3: I'm I'm told from people who have ridden them that it's a little different than riding a motorcycle. Sure. Uh, the control on that rear wheel is uh, obviously different from having a round type of rear tire on the back and uh I think you know someday you and I are going to have to go to Wenatchee and, definitely. and have Wenatchee Power Sports hook us up and go ride the timber sled someday.
2: We definitely need to get uh, on those and test them out and uh, get a few great photos I'm sure. Uh
3: other news that happened in December uh, Ryan Villapoto the uh what do we want to say motocross champion yep. Uh, has retired, but now he'll be taking over Stratoline ORV Park, along with another gentleman and their their organization.
2: Right. So now this is something that I didn't know a whole lot about. I did read the article, and I reread it today, too, just before we went on air here. But kind of give me the gist, kind of give the listeners a gist. Why is this a big deal? Why is this important?
3: Well, Ryan's got a big name. Right. Um and the people who were who had the um, franchise on running – not the franchise, but the – I don't know what you call it. Uh, the rights, maybe. The, the, the rights yeah. to operate the park and uh, it, had done a, it had done a pretty good job of upgrading the park. That park was pretty much a dump when they took over. So they brought it up to a certain level, and he came in with a, with a proposal that would take it up to the next level. And uh, so it's all good for the people who use the park. No doubt about it. Uh, Also, I mean, he's talking that he may be doing some training at the facility. Well, that'd be great. So if you could get some training from a championship uh, motocross racer, wow,
2: absolutely. Well, it seems
3: supercross. That's what
2: it. It seemed very interesting too, kind of reading uh, again through the article some of over the years some of sort of the almost gerrymandering of the county lines to get this. This uh, park yep. operational and that kind of thing. Yep. And, uh, you know, we've done some coverage on efforts here uh, throughout Washington on trying to get parks opened and that kind of stuff. And it is, I mean, these are really the balance between public and private partnerships and trying to get approval and the, the land necessary and the location. They're really uh, tough operations to keep going.
3: And that's why it gets the name Straddle Line because it does straddle the county line, but then oh, they broke the county line over into, into, uh, was it Pierce County? Yeah. So, uh
2: so all you country music fans, if you want to write a song, I think you got some subject matter down the old Straddle Line county line, right? Sounds wow! Like a <laughs> so,
3: wow! Now so, we're getting some songwriting so, on the show. It sounds today. like a cool. sounds
2: like a country song, but cool. Uh, <laughs> but it'll be interesting anyway. I hope that he has a lot of success down there, and who knows, maybe at some point in the future we can get him on the show to talk about his business.
3: Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. Hey, you uh, did a lot of work uh, in the fall on upgrading our dealer uh, directory. That's right. So now anybody who wants to see who sells what, where, uh, that's all been updated for 2017. And in December, we had a last-minute edition of uh, ProCaliber coming in with the BMW line. So that's like... I think it's eight dealers now in Washington State that have the BMW line.
2: Which compared to what? Just three or four years compared ago. Compared to like five years ago, yeah. it was
3: two. So Three
2: so the evolution yeah. of bmw continues to grow obviously they're super popular here in the pacific northwest all throughout the country now too um do you think that there'll be plans to continue to expand that or if we have we reached a population sort of uh, maximum for bmw
3: when the next recession comes someone will tell you we've reached the max for right. now <laughs> I don't know what will happen between now and then.
2: Well, we all wait on bated breath for the next recession so we can get that information.
3: But ProCalibur is excited, and uh, there may be some very special events coming up in the first half of the year that they're involved with. Great. Uh, I I know some information, but I can't divulge right now.
2: Sure. Well, we look forward to it, certainly.
3: Uh, Let's see. Okay, now uh, the Seattle Cossack rider Scott Tresler is... Planning to open up a museum in Cle called the Legendary Rides Museum.
2: Now is that Scott or Todd Tressler? I what think you, I think it's say? Todd. We've got Todd. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've my got, notes are wrong. That's right. So I, we, on the news bites here, we've got Todd Tressler. Okay, but this is going to be uh, just a little east of here in Seattle, right?
3: Yeah. So you know, it's kind of between Ellensburg and Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> but way closer go. to Ellensburg. Uh, i don't know you know we'll have to find out more on this when it when it when the information comes available i know that he's had a a building over there for a while and so he's obviously looking at turning that into a museum style place so i you know we're always happy to see another museum pop up here in the pacific northwest another reason to ride
2: exactly especially if you are here, sort of on the i-5 corridor uh that's a nice sort of you know, out and back afternoon ride that you can do in the summertime, right? You know, you head up there, grab some lunch, check out the museum, and ride back home before the sun sets. There you go. So, be a pretty good setup for that.
3: That's a, that's always a good, and you can do that on a weekday when you ditch work. Yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which okay. is always encouraged.
3: Uh, also announced, and I haven't seen these guys tooting their horns about it, but I I, I saw it and I was impressed by it um tour tech has been nominated as a off-road riding organizer of the year through ama and uh, you may you may or may not know this but we won the road riding organizer of the year in
2: 2011 oh well the course uh, we are very fortunate here in the pacific northwest to have so many great organizations uh you know sound rider of course amongst them tour tech amongst them but a lot of great companies that promote the sport and yeah. big congratulations to Tour, too, to Tour Tech, because they really do a nice job.
3: I yeah, mean, they... I mean, Paul Guillen is kind of running the show when it comes to doing their event up there in Leavenworth. Sure. And uh, it didn't hurt when uh, uh, Jason rode in, dressed as a brontosaurus, and did the <laughs> uh, contest last summer. So,
2: Well, really, I mean, I think, you know, I've been... In the sport now for about six or seven years, and you know, I was immediately interested in dual sport motorcycles. Touratech was one of the first brands that I became aware of. Do you think that they, in part, really uh, have a lot to do with the success of the BMWs and the GSs here in the United States over the last decade? Because they've really been behind it. I mean. Aftermarket accessories, events—they seem to really be out there waving. They, they've the flag. definitely
3: been at the forefront. Yeah, that, no doubt about it. Yes, yeah. obviously everybody's in the game now. True, but, uh, but they were—they were there from the start. In fact, I remember when uh, when Tour Tech wanted to enter the U.S. Uh, one of the first things they did was actually had Ride West as their distribution area interesting so So ride west was loaded up with all these boxes and all this stuff and then um that transitioned over to tom who runs tour tech now right and they found a little warehouse up on capitol hill and brought all that inventory in there and he and another he and another gentleman uh started up really got the tour tech Uh, deal going here and then uh, eventually they moved down there to georgetown and opened up the bigger facility and it's you know probably probably if we were to look at their books there have been you know double-digit growth every year for 10 years
2: well i would i would certainly think so and that facility down in uh, south seattle is uh, a bit of a destination for riders too i mean people from all over the world uh when they come to seattle on their transcontinental journeys that's uh, one of their stops is in at tour tech
3: yep Uh, On the move, Dale Naimi, formerly with South Sound BMW, formerly with I-90 Motorsports, is going to be surfacing this month in January over at Desert Valley Power Sports as the general manager there. So uh, we look forward to... Seeing him in his new position and yeah. wish him the best in in whatever happens with that.
2: Always nice when we can keep uh, sort of industry veterans involved in the sport because they bring so much knowledge to it. And uh, I think it's really a great way for these dealerships to sort of continue on the path. You know, you bring customers, you bring knowledge, you bring enthusiasm. So all the best to Dale, and we yeah. look forward to seeing him he, at Desert he, Valley. I
3: think he started his career in Hawaii. Oh, nice. And then uh, and, and came over here and... Continued on with I-90 for as long as they went before they got sold off. Um, and Dale just has a ton of experience. He's really good at, at knowing what to do when. Right, uh, He's good with people. Uh, if you know him, you know he's a cancer survivor, and he's not quiet about that. Sure. And uh, so he's he's really kind of a guiding light for those people, too, people who, who struggle with that. He's somebody who's come out the other side. And he's right now, he's in pretty good shape. So. Right.
2: Well, maybe he can be the guy to advise us when we open up that Soundwriter Hawaii office, too. It sounds hey, like he's got there some you go. It's there.
3: All right, what else is happening? Oh, um, uh, the G, spelled G-E-E, Auto mm-hmm. Group of Spokane has purchased the Ron Tonkin Auto Group in Portland. And you say, well, why are you talking about auto groups on Soundwriter? Uh, it turns out uh, a lot of people already know this, but you may not know, that Moto Corsa is owned by the Ron Tonkin Auto Group. Right, And so uh, I've been talking back and forth with Arun. He's had uh, meetings with the new management, and he recently notified me and said, as far as uh, day-to-day goes, it's going to be business as usual.
2: Well, uh motocorsa of course is the uh ducati dealership down in portland just for anybody who's not familiar with that region there and that they really that's a great great motorcycle dealership so i really hope that they can keep that sort of level of enthusiasm um that they that motocorsa currently has i really hope that they can continue that with the new owners
3: yeah it'll be interesting to watch this year and see where that all goes um last but not least we reported that uh KTM had a 5000 plus motorcycle recall right. and Indian had a 25000 plus recall so between them 30000 or more motorcycles have been recalled.
2: Unbelievable.
3: If you're not aware of this and you own a KTM or an Indian you probably want to check Please be out aware, more. yeah.
2: Do we know I didn't really get into this too much. What were the nature of these recalls? Did you get into some of the uh, the logistics here?
3: Uh, it's noted in the articles I read, but I don't recall. Right. Oh, it's something to do with a fuel line on one of them. Okay. Yeah, that overheats. It's too close to the, too close to the motor somewhere.
2: Right. Actually, it looks like uh, well, some I'm reading through some of these articles quickly now. It looks like the brake line may overheat. Uh. Oh, that's what it is. And right? melt here on some of the KTM's um well you know these things certainly happen uh certainly if you do have one of these motorcycles get out and check out the details yeah, just there. take
3: it in and get it fixed yeah i think and that's, enjoy your bike that's it because Until the, the next recall right <laughs>
2: <laughs> another reason to buy an old bike you know you get out of out of uh, all the old recalls there but uh you know hopefully we'll get these issues ironed out and uh, won't have to worry about it anymore but be on the lookout anyway if you're on a ktm or an indian
3: all right that's our news bite section we will be back shortly with the calendar
0: Support for The Rider Show is provided in part by Rich's Custom Seats. Do long days on the road take their toll on your body? That's because stock seats and generic aftermarket seats don't fit anybody. Have your motorcycle seat custom fit to your body, improve your ergonomic positioning, and enjoy long days in the saddle with a Rich's Custom Seat. Just a ferry ride from Seattle. Experience a Rich's Custom Seat today. This is Dave Richardson from Moto International. You're listening to The Rider Show.
1: Hey, I'm John from Briar, Washington, and uh, well, it's not real local, but I like going to John Day, Oregon uh, for the rally, and Highway 19 is an awesome ride.
3: Soundwriter Show. We're going to do the calendar now. Um, Not a whole lot going on in January, but some cool events. So we'll start off with uh, Wednesday the 4th. It's going to be the Old Bike Night at Georgetown. It goes on every first Wednesday of the month down there.
2: That's right, and that's here in South Seattle again, if you are listening from outside of the area.
3: Yeah, you go to Tour Tech, and then you go down the street to Old Bike Night.
2: Nothing wrong with that. What's their, uh, is it Slim's Last Chance? Are they still doing it down there? It looks like uh, that might be. No
3: one told me anything different, so. No?
2: Okay. Well, anyway, down in Georgetown, ride around until you see just some Just look old for bikes. the old bikes. That's when right. you find yeah. a
3: cluster of them, you'll be there.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's on the, uh, and that's on the 4th coming up here. Uh, just real quick, hopefully you're uh, tuning in early to this.
3: Yeah. And then the following Wednesday, in case you missed the first old bike night, you can go over to the Seattle Used Bikes Night. And uh, see some other old bikes over there, and hook up with friends. Uh, goes on every every second Wednesday of the month.
2: Now is Dave still down there running the barbecue even in January? Yeah,
3: yeah, dedicated.
2: That's, what they do. that's great, man.
3: Uh, let's see. And then uh, I know it's cold, and so get in your car and go over to Hood River and enjoy the uh, what is it? Second Saturday right. display at Wham at the. Uh, Western Auto Aero
2: That's right. Western Antique Airplane and Automobile Museum. That's it. W A A A M. Yeah. Right. So, that uh, one
3: still continues on as opposed to the other WAM that doesn't continue on anymore.
2: Oh, that's a oh, George W
3: H A M. A George Michael joke. Deep cut there. Good for you, man. <laughs> So uh, always some good bikes in there, and uh, as often as possible, they're running some of them around so you can get a chance to see some of them in motion.
2: And yeah, we say it all the time here, but really, just a, an awesome museum. From what I understand, maybe I'll go down there on the uh, on the fourteenth. We'll see.
3: Oh yeah, you're back and forth to Portland maybe twice That's this right, month. Yeah. Good. Uh, and and if you're not doing anything on the thirteenth through the 16th you can pack your super worn sleeping bag and go hook up with all the crazy people that do the snow camp down off of uh well down there in lb that's right i think is the highway number in there in
2: lb washington four days of winter camping in your motorcycle
3: there you go whoo what could be better?
2: <laughs> Does that involve uh, any sort of polar bear plunge or anything like that too? Or they- no, but they yeah. do.
3: They do uh, try to ride up to paradise. Yeah, and so I don't know if that's possible right now or not. Some years it's been really warm and everybody got up there no problem. Sure. Other years some people made it all the way up in the snow. So, uh, you just have to see when you get there. You never know. Yeah. Good
2: excuse to bust out some of that Gordon's heated clothing for sure. But then
3: they do stuff like um, they, you know, they deep fry a turkey and they have a chili feed. And, and they, it's a, well, you got to go online and read about it. Right. Because it's, a, it's, a, it's a bring your own food to share with other people kind of thing. I got gotcha. you. It's like a continuous uh, potluck.
2: Sure. Well, on. yeah, go online and read about it. Or if you've got nothing to do from the 13th to the 16th, go and experience it. Yeah. Right, down in L.B., Washington.
3: <laughs> All right, if you want to get into politics on Thursday the 19th, that's Black Friday down in Olympia at the Capitol. Um, it's a good time to go in and get to meet some of your legislators if you want to meet them, find out what the the bills are. that are going to get pushed this year and connect with other people who are into the the legislative part of motorcycling
2: anything that's kind of on your radar as far as legislation is concerned in 2017 for uh, motorcyclists. motorcyclist anything that's on my radar yeah anything that uh, you're particularly interested in
3: i no, i know we'll see the lane splitting come up again right i know we'll see the the helmet anti-helmet legislation come back on sure uh there's nothing new that i know of That is of interest right now but you never know
2: right so there's like no bills in the uh in the house or the senate to get the uh, seattle motorcycle show
3: back here this year (laughs) (laughs) no i think that takes a lot of money okay well uh let's see and then on friday the 20th uh, i could head on up to canada and go to the vancouver motorcycle show in abbotsford Always a good show. Starts on Friday the 20th, ends on Sunday the 22nd.
2: Now, you were up there just a couple of years ago, right? Was that two years ago now? I
3: went up last year. Was it last year now? I go up almost every year.
2: Okay. Yeah. And it's always kind of interesting because there's kind of a more sort of European flair to some of the models and that kind of thing you get to
3: see. Not so much as it used to be, but yeah. I mean, you know, so you might see an African twin in blue. Oh, Or some color you've never wow, seen. Well, that's
2: color. worth a trip, right there.
3: <laughs> but it's uh, you know it's a homegrown show. Um, it's always busy. Yeah. It does, unlike the Seattle show, that show just doesn't slow down. Lots the of enthusiasm. Day, late afternoon on Saturday, it's still rocking.
2: Well, VancouverMotorcyclesShow.ca if you want to learn more about that.
3: But uh, you know what I would do if I if I could go up this year, and maybe I could. I would go up on uh, Saturday and then uh, probably do the Trev Dealey at the same time, spend a night. And there's some really good restaurants around the Abbotsford area. Absolutely. So uh, that's what I would do.
2: Vancouver's a great city, so if you can go up there and indulge in all that motorcycling over one weekend, uh, what better way to spend January?
3: And then uh, last but not least, and already mentioned, is going to be the Portland Motorcycle Film Festival. Uh, They're raising money for their... Uh, keep their fence maintained that their air fence that they have out there to track. Sure. Um, uh, As of this recording, we believe you can still get tickets online, but they will sell out. So the sooner you do it, the better Um, go, go for the, go for the priority package with the two nights and the, The Advance Party and all that.
2: Well, it seems to get bigger and bigger every year um, down there, and the press around it, too. So hopefully they'll have some great films uh, to see this year, and hopefully those guys have a lot of success continuing into the future as well. uh, Portland, a great motorcycle town.
3: Oh, yeah. All right. That's our calendar. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got our special guest here today to talk about land speed racing.
0: I can't wait. Support for SoundRider and the SoundRider Show is made possible in part by... Linwood Motoplex, your gateway to motorcycling adventure in the Pacific Northwest. Choose from brands like Indian, KTM, BMW, Kawasaki, Victory, Yamaha, Can-Am, and more. Family-owned and operated for over 25 years, Linwood Motoplex is your one-stop shop for fun. Hi, this is Rich from Rich's Custom Motorcycle Seats, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show.
1: Hi, my name is Dana. I live in Belfair. I ride a KTM 350 and a BMW. Uh, 1200 GS adventure and a Harley and uh, my favorite ride is following Sean.
3: We're back on the Soundwriter Show, and we've got a very special guest in house right now. And Derek, take it away.
2: Yeah, well, thanks for being here. Now, I want to make sure I pronounce your first name correctly. Is it Delvini? Delvine. Delvine. Okay, yep. not that no, no emphasis on the last name. No e there.
3: emphasis. No. Well, we're
2: here with uh, Delvine Manning, who is the owner of uh, Bonneville Speed, uh, Bonneville Motorcycle Speed Trials. Mm-hmm. And uh, essentially, are you guys kind of like a promotion company then that organizes this one event each year down at the Bonneville Salt Splats? Or yep. Tell me a little yeah, bit kind we, of about your business. We
4: are considered the promoter of this particular event. Okay. It's the only event that I Promote. Right. um, And uh, we've been running it for a number of years and recently under my ownership. And so we promote the event, we organize it, we you know, run all of the logistics of it, right? Um, and the AMA and the FIM sanction or inscribe the event. Okay, for the so records. at
2: an AMA sanctioned event, and they're the uh-huh. ones who always kind of judge land speed records. Just kind of my understanding; they're kind of yeah. sort of like the Guinness Book, right? And in, in the yeah. sense of sort of like
4: technically, the Guinness Book kind of comes from the FIM as okay. world records. Right. So you know, comparing apples to apples. Sure. Um, there are s- different rules for the FIM, but the AMA uh, sanctions the event for the national record nice so anyone that gets a national record gets their number one plate like you do in any other discipline right in um, addition to that the um, Landsby community had not been involved with the AMA for a number of years they hadn't inscribed it or sanctioned it so in 2004, we went back to the AMA and we're like, you guys really yeah. should be involved in that. Get
2: on board with that.
4: Exactly. And now we're one of their grand championships.
2: So this is the whole thing is kind of fascinating to me. And it's a little new, too. You know, I've been involved in the motorcycle industry for many years, but land speed. Uh, racing in particular, is kind of a genre that I don't know too much about. So mm-hmm. we go back to 2004, and uh, now, present day, you're you're the owner of this company yep. of, uh, once again, to give that, the Bonneville Motorcycle Speed Trials. But in 2004, uh, you're working with a partner. Yep. Take me back to the start of this. How does this all come together, just so I can start to get everybody up to speed here?
4: Well, it was uh, initially started by Dennis Manning. Right. I worked for him. He was my father-in-law at the time. Sure um and he had held the record in 1970 with the bike by Harley Davidson uh with Cal Rayborn that rode that so he
2: was an actual racer he He his. was a racer okay. um
4: and he designed and built a number of streamliners right. um so he had always had a dream to have a motorcycle only event out of Bonneville sure in its 100 year history uh which it was the anniversary last year for 100 years at Bonneville um all of the motorcycles had run with cars, trucks, and other right. events. Right, you see
2: a lot of mixed exactly. sort of events, I
4: So, and that's kind of what you traditionally have seen out there. or sure. the, You know, the hot rods and the Lakesters right. and, and that. But he had wanted to have an all-motorcycle event because, of course, motorcycles have some special needs in regards to, you know, you don't want to run a motorcycle in the grooves of a big truck.
2: No, that is definitely one thing that uh, you'd want to avoid. And just, you know, there's, it's different technology, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I know there's some crossover, but in the subcultures and everything, there's different groups. People are kind of segmented a little bit.
4: Yeah, exactly. And... It's almost like for motorcycling, they'd been a footnote in the land speed history right. in regards to, you know, those other events. So he had had this dream, dare sure. I say, to always run this motorcycle only event and also open it up to his competitors. I yeah. mean, he achieved the record, had the world record with a car he designed, uh, the, sorry, motorcycle he designed and built with Chris Carr sure. riding it. And that uh, broke the record again in uh, I think it was 2006, again in 2009. Um, It's been back and forward sometime with the absolute world record, which was always his goal to get that absolute record. But part of that was to have this event that was motorcycles only, bring, um, bring what you... Want yeah, and then also we have a portion of it that's run what you brung so it's like come out (laughs) a couple of runs and then you know and then you go on so you can you can get that timing ticket or you it's kind of a foot in the door you don't have to make your bike super race ready right I have a question sure
3: Um, you said that it's now separate from the four wheel uh huh so. is the four wheel like the week before or the week after? There are a couple
4: of weeks before. There's multiple events out there. Speed Week is the granddaddy of the LSR, mm-hmm. and they're the ones that have been running it for a long time. And so that's two weeks before our event, usually in early August. Nice. Okay,
3: and then the salt gets prepped again before mm-hmm. you come in. So yeah. it's, it's like a nice, flat, yeah, proper and we surface.
4: Yeah, we use different locations. Our layout is a bit different because unlike the other events, with national records, you have to do return runs in the opposite direction. Right Over the same course So um, because of the number or the volume that they have with their cars They run a different format So we are technically on a slightly different course But we do go out and prep it Kind of fix any issues that may have been created from those other vehicles as well
3: And so explain to the listeners There's two or three different courses that you run There's a short and a long or is there one in between?
4: We technically run four different courses but on two tracks so, what that means is on one course, which we call our international course, we have um, starting points for a usually from an eight to an 11 mile course. Mm-hmm. And then we have an, a shorter course um, that has, you know, kind of a, like a closer to the time section starting point for a five mile course. And that's called wow. the short course or the intermediate course.
3: And my understanding of that course is, is that the smaller bikes don't need. Eight miles or eleven miles to get to top speed. They could do it all within a five mile.
4: Exactly leg, right? five miles is standard, and a majority of our participants run on those five miles. The eight mile are for the kind of anyone that's over one hundred and seventy-five miles an hour. You have to go over that speed to qualify for that eight mile course, and then you have to be a streamliner to qualify for a longer course. And we kind of do that on an as-needed basis, depending on who's running.
3: So your DR three hundred and fifty is going to be on the five mile course.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I can get that up to just over 175 well, for, with a tailwind yeah <laughs> too.
4: if you're only coming out for Run What You Run you run on a three mile course which okay. is run on a separate track right so, yeah we
2: were joking a, yeah. uh, a little bit earlier I think that uh, maybe I get top speed about 80 on that yeah with the downhill, you're, you're
4: probably on a three mile course yeah.
2: <laughs> it probably so won't let me in you know yeah. Yeah. yeah and when
4: we talk about the length of the course um the time section's in the middle so sure. for a three mile it'd be one mile run up to a one mile time section so the speed is the average over that entire mile,
2: so let's go ahead Tom looks like so got... we have
3: we have um, bikes of all sizes mm-hmm. but there's is it two categories the stock and the modified?
4: We run a number of different classes there is there is a stock or a production as we call it, um, but then you have a modified classification and then you can go into a special construction oh. um, and that's you know very specific race bikes like. You know, the sodium distortion team, they build their bikes from scratch, long frames, you know, completely from the ground up. So So they're
3: really in the special construction class. They're in the special construction
4: class. A modified is when you take a production, you make some modifications, you remove things, change exhaust change you know maybe even pistons or cylinders or and those sorts of things so there's different things that you can do depending on the structure but there's a pretty extensive and a huge variety of different classes it's based on your frame which is the production modified or special construction but then it goes into fairings if you have them or not right um you know we have sidecar as a separate classification as well as streamliners
2: well sidecar that's something you and i could do you yeah. want to get a sidecar yeah. on you that could thing? You can be I the could... monkey and all that. <laughs>
4: and we are the only group that run uh, and allow <laughs> passengers for the sidecar class. Can I ask,
2: what, like, what kind of speeds are we looking at at sidecar? For
4: sidecars, I mean, we've had some that are on the long course. Yeah, um, so I so mean, over two
3: hundred miles an hour.
4: I don't know that we've had any of those. Yeah. Off the top of my head, we do have what. Wait, wait a- till I
3: bring my higher <laughs> booster turbo. <laughs> that's car what down. I'm talking <laughs> about. I'm yeah, hit the yeah. 200. That's right. you that's right. And um, it depends I'm if I'm you're ready. counting
4: the. S- we do have sidecar streamliners. Sure. So, and those are the top speed for a sidecar streamliner yeah. is at uh, two seventy. 274, I think, Whoa, was her top speed.
2: That is, that's, And that's
4: an electric one on top of that.
2: That is so intense. You know, that's an interesting uh, comment is there you make there somebody there to
3: pry the eyeballs out of her <laughs> <person's> head <laughs> at the she,
4: other side? Uh, actually, she's uh, uh, nominated this year for the AMA Female Racer of the Year. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah, Ava Harkinson. She's awesome. Just got her doctorate as well in engineering. Well, congratulations yeah. to Ava, for sure.
2: So you made an interesting comment there about uh, this particular sidecar motorcycle being electric.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: What kind of ratio are we looking at? right now, because obviously we know you know, electric has the sort of acceleration to it, right? Mm-hmm. But are you starting to see more and more electric motorcycles come down and join your this here? Absolutely.
4: Yeah. Um, alternative fuel um, is is a different class. We did split that out a long time ago. Electric, solar, anything that wasn't, sure. you know, internal combustion was right. all Plutonium, lumped in one. Right, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but now we've split out diesel for nice. a separate as well. Um, and uh, you know, compression engines and electric, and then we have other propulsion. We tend not to run too many of those unless they're wheel-driven. But um, I, I, I bet your AMA
3: is not going to let an E15 class in, huh?
4: Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're not too happy with that.
3: <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm very – the
2: the, uh, the intricacies of the classes and that kind of thing is something mm-hmm. that really I had no idea of. But yeah, when we talk about sort of what drives people to do this, because there's not – it's not like, uh, you know – Pepsi is coming down. And is going to sponsor a lot of you know a lot of these racers, their teams, or that sort of thing. So, and I mean this very in the best sense, but a lot of roots. it, you're right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. a lot of this seems very sort of in the best sense ego driven, right? Like you have this machine and you have this idea, and you think, where can I go and where can I really open this up? What do you, What do you find is sort of the normal process for people? Like, how do they arrive at your doorstep? Like all of a sudden, someone gets in contact with you and they say here's the deal. Like, what's the next step? Or, I mean, take me through kind of what you think is sort of the average the average approach to getting into land speed racing?
4: The most common thing I hear is I've always wanted to go there.
2: Okay, interesting. So just sort of the legend of the area itself. It's
4: Bonneville, it's the Mecca of speed. And anyone that's done anything to do with cars or racing has heard of Bonneville or Salt Flats racing. Absolutely. Um, So that's the most common. I've always wanted to do that. It's on my bucket list. Um, we found that a lot of people just didn't know when to go or didn't realise, especially for the motorcycle side of things, that it was accessible. Anyone can do this. So that's a common thing that we have. We hear a lot of people that come through the a m a sure you know and and now is one of their grand championships. We're certainly promoted um we're kind of an anomaly within the a m a because we're a single uh, you know a single event almost yeah. but um but on top of that, you know they they cover all the disciplines um so
3: so um a lot of our writers slash readers listeners. Uh, they're probably never going to go down and race. However, they might like to be involved. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I see a lot of our readers who go out and get involved in other events, uh, you know, the 24 Hours of Starvation Ridge and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So uh, if I have a couple guys who are kind of bored out of their gourd right now uh, and they want to hook up, I guess you're going to go first to your website. Yeah. Our website, we do have a uh, volunteer signups and we are always looking
4: for volunteers. And what
3: kind of always. jobs are we talking about that these people would do when they're down there on the salt flat?
4: We have a huge range of jobs depending on what you want to do. Um, and also your, your technical knowledge, so to speak um, everything from helping run the front gate, which, you know, we all need sure, <laughs> um, as well as including tech inspectors, helping run the course. So, Um, And then admin in terms of registration and all that. Repeat volunteers are a huge, huge part of the success of the event. It helps get things going quicker. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, going to our website, we have volunteer sign up. It's not open just yet, but there's a list of different jobs there. Um, The ones that we're always, always interested in, um, especially are people to work the course. Because sometimes, you know, it's long days. We run from seven... 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Sure, you know it's a long day. You're in the middle of the desert. It's a tough deal. I can imagine. Um,
3: so but, let, you know, let's let's put this in perspective. You've, you, it's a straight course, but you mm-hmm. have what you call corner workers at every half mile point. Uh every well, every mile. Every mile.
4: Okay. Yeah. Usually we have um, we have starters. So there are because we have various start locations or start miles. We call. Um, we do have people there, there's several people in that location cause you're receiving bikes coming from pre-staging and then you're, you know, making sure they've got all their equipment, uh, ready to go and sending them down the course. So those are kind of like our, what we call our caller or, or our, our flaggers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then we have spotters, spotters uh, along, okay. along the course so that, you know, you can see where everyone is sure. you keep an eye on the course make sure they're
3: cleared and how long that. is my shift as a spotter out on the course
4: it, it depends on what you want in some regards but generally um you know most people volunteer all day all week you know okay. and for that we cover things like hotel room we provide a per diem for food oh, nice. as well as lunch yeah um and you know we always encourage people to bring extra stuff you know there's that's the course workers are the kind of the front row, but it's a, it's an all day deal for most most people. We do have some people that need to swap out. We also have a lot of volunteer races. So if you do want to race as well as volunteer, then you know as it gets quieter near the end of the week when most people have either got their records broken or right. you know, all of those things, then there's time to kind of almost hot lap sometimes well so. it sounds
2: like really kind of a little bit of a uh, almost of a festival atmosphere yeah right like you go down there to participate in the whole event almost to be around some people may volunteer of course some people may race but just to take it all in there's so much so many different class so much so much different technology to see mm-hmm. it sounds like that to go down there and spend five six seven days would be really worthwhile yeah
4: exactly you know we have an open pit area so you can go through and walk through and talk to the racers right. and talk to the crew it's it's a huge family out there so we have this environment where you know questions are encouraged you know competitors help each other sure. you know you loan a sprocket to a bike that's going against you right um and all of those things we have so many volunteers that then race or we have some races that are like well i can't race this year but i want to volunteer and yeah. having that crossover is great for us because then we have races that then understand what the back of the house looks like and what goes into the organization of it as well as the other way around where it's just like okay they become better competitors because they've volunteered Um, or they've got that experience they're good competitors because they've been a volunteer they know what goes into it and
3: makes perfect sense yeah and and i'm glad to hear that you provide hotel rooms for people Mm -hmm. because I, i tend to like to camp Uh But, uh, boy, I saw that movie and I saw what happened to everybody who was camping out there when the deluge came down. Yeah. And I, I would guess that my tent might get a little flooded inside with some salty water. Huh? Yeah.
4: And uh, the, the salt flats are BLM land. So, um, but because of their location, um, there's no actual camping on the salt. There's what we call the bend in the road, which is there's a truck stop nearby. There's sure. no amenities. Some people camp there. Ah. um, But, you know, there's a KOA. And because we're a smaller event than, say, Speed Week, we don't, like, book out the whole town. It's right on the, on the border of Nevada and Utah. So mm-hmm. we've got a whole bunch of casino hotels. We get some great rates with those guys. Um, they really help us out. They love supporting the races that come in for our event. That's and right. So it's nice to have a really nice shower after <laughs> you've been on the salt for yeah, I bet know, your skin twelve gets hours. A little-
3: Crackly out there. It
4: it can you know there's I I have what I call my salt uniform and it's it's cargo pants, it's Vans, it's you know I'm all set to go and I throw most of it out at the end of the week. I can imagine you know the shoes. It's just an excuse to go buy some more. But (laughs) uh,
3: (laughs) so if I'm a first timer going down there, are you going to give me some information telling me what to bring? Like should I am am I okay in a baseball cap or should I be bringing a full brim cap? Are you going to give me zinc oxide or am I have to bring it myself?
4: Most things are bring yourself, and we do have some rookie guides. Um, we have some uh, rider guides if you're a first time rider. What to expect, the dos and don'ts, so to speak, on our website as well. Um, and then as as a newbie out there, yeah, you know, sunglasses are absolutely essential, yeah. sunscreen, and all of those things. If you forget it, somebody will have some. Or there's the truck stops in in town that that are well supplied, and they know when these events are on to oh, stock I'm up sure, on things. Yeah. So, and some. Some of that is available from us. We do have a merchandising booth, so to speak. And we have some some basic supplies. Or if you've forgotten it here, slap some on and then go to Smith's at the supermarket in town and and get some more. So we do have some of those guides on our website. What kind
2: of turnout do you see sort of each year? I mean, are we talking, I mean, how many people come down and participate and to view over the course? First question, actually, is when is the event, and then how many people uh, you know usually come down, and what's the turnout like?
4: So we run the week before Labor Day okay. every year. So this year, that's the 26th to the 31st of August. Okay. And we run – we start racing on the Sunday – prior to Labor Day weekend, and we run until Thursday. And that's some of that's because we want to be out of the hotels before Labor Day weekend when all their gamblers come in. So um, we run that kind of schedule. We do some inspection beforehand, but we're always in that last week. Um, That's a couple of weeks after Speed Week. It's before the other events as well. So. Um, we have uh, that particular schedule and what was the
2: and then just what's the turnout like how many people come down and participate and how many people come down and view and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. do you usually see pretty large crowds
4: um You know, I mean, I consider it large compared to some of the other events. No, we're the second largest event out there, um, but we're maybe a third of the size of Speed Week. Sure. So um, generally in participants, we're hovering around the 250 mark in participants. Now, some of those are... You know, we have some guys that ride two different bikes. I can see that, yeah. Or we have some one bike where there's two different riders, and those are all kind of counted separately. Individual bike numbers is what we count as participants, because that's, you know, how many people are going down the course. Um, And then in spectators, we're not a huge spectator sport. Um, I'd like to see more spectators out there. Some of that is because, you know, we're standing in front of like a section of a mile, and it seems like I call it the like the fastest slowest motorcycle racing because you can be standing there and a bike goes down every 3 minutes right, down the yeah. course and so it seems like nothing's happening <laughs> and but they're going yeah. at 200 miles an hour right. <laughs> so um, but because of our open pit area, the access to the starting lines, um, a lot of people that we have out there for spectators tend to be connected to someone or sure. part of a crew. So, but generally, you know, through the gate, so to speak, we have about 1500 pe- people or more.
3: Oh, good. So, I still think that's you know, a great
2: turnout. Yeah. yeah.
4: It's a pretty good turnout, yeah. you know, and, and for right now we're really comfortable with that number. You know, we've got the facilities, you know. In, in place to be able to deal with that. Right. You know, we, we've seen more at our peak. Um, we had, I think it was like 350. Uh, that was a little much, but that's because we had some other organized groups come in, like BMW sure. as part of their ride. They did a whole bunch of Run What you Brung type of stuff. So. Well, I tell
2: you, Delvin, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating event. Um, I'm really glad that you had a chance to come in here and chat with us mm-hmm. and sort of inform some of our listeners, because I don't think I'm alone. I think there's a lot of people who are kind of, You know, we know of land speed, Mm -hmm. right, racing and that sort of thing, but don't realize... Maybe sort of how close to home it is, right, uh, and yeah. how accessible it is as well. So I yeah. really appreciate you coming and it's, in. And it's
4: so affordable for everyone, you right? Know? I mean, it, it, what you do really does depend on your budget, yeah,
2: and
3: how much time you want to put into it. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> well, I'm going to wind up here. Did you have something else? Tom? Yeah. No, or, I was yeah. going
3: to say we're 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 definitely not done yet. We're done with you, but <laughs> we're not done yet. So uh, the, the, we'll we'll take a little break here, and when we come back, we're going to have Bill Woods with the Sodium Distortion team, which is the Pacific Northwest team that. Raised down on the salt flats every summer and we'll get sort of that local team perspective
2: right and I want to get Delvin out of here actually on one last question first sure. I want to say www.bonnevillespeedtrials.com is the website yes ma'am. and then the one question I'm sure everybody has in mind is top speed on a motorcycle for you
4: For me... Yeah,
2: what's your personal record?
4: I don't actually have one on a motorcycle. What about as a passenger? Uh, Not even as a passenger, passenger, but I got my start with land speed racing in my dad's 29 Roadster at 139 miles an hour, and I beat my brother, so that's all that counts.
2: I'll take that. 139 Uh miles per hour, uh, Delveen Manning, BonnevilleSpeedTrials.com. Thank you so much for joining us on The Soundwriter Show. Thank you.
0: Support for The Soundwriter Show is provided in part by the rally in the gorge are you ready to go beyond the main roads since 2003 the rally in the gorge has introduced riders intimately to the awesome secondary and tertiary roads in the columbia river gorge national scenic area with programs for dual sport adventure sport touring and sport bike enthusiasts this is the rally you'll want to return to again and again for more information visit soundrider.com rally
5: this is ryan hemans with parts unlimited and you're listening to the soundrider show
1: Hi, this is Whitney from Kirkland, Washington. My favorite place to ride is in the Lake Wenatchee area.
3: We're back on the Soundwriter show and we're going to go into the next part of our interview series here and uh, again special thanks to uh, Delvan Manning for coming down here and doing the first section but we have uh, Bill Woods here from the sodium distortion land speed racing team and Derek take it away
2: that's right so Bill Woods an actual land speed racer so we go from talking about event promotion a little bit with Delvain and now we're here with Bill like uh, Tom said with sodium distortion racing uh, Bill thanks for being on the sound rider show thank you much for having me so uh, tell me a little bit about uh sodium distortion let's start there this is sort of a group of fabricators and racers that you and your friends started how long ago now
5: uh we actually started the team about 11 years ago and uh jason omar's father invited us to go to our first event out on the salt flats and uh we immediately just Uh, got salt fever right you guys knew it was for you we fell in love with it
2: because we were talking a little bit before we started recording here and you're saying how you guys are pretty much in all the disciplines self-taught so this is really sort of inspiration driven right like this is something that kind of spoke to you guys and you were like look we got to get on this we got to start making land speed racers and we got to see how fast we can go
5: absolutely we we had raced locally road racing we had done motocross supermoto uh but a lot of us identified that we wanted to be on a global scale we wanted to compete with people from around the world yeah not not even just in the united states around the united states north america but also around the world and fabrication is uh, the chassis development it was what we identified was we didn't have the money to produce big engines sure but we had the skills we could learn to produce chassis that were really quick and even without the big engines what kind of speeds are we
2: talking about for you guys and you yourself in particular as a racer i mean what classes are you particularly uh, involved in and uh, how fast are you getting up to out there on those salt flats
5: we have a varied uh, approach to racing um, we we in our team we haven't uh, just done the typical path of going for the fastest bike you can build sure um uh, my personal goal is to have the fastest 500 on earth and that's been my goal all along and i've i've Reached that goal, except for I haven't made return runs. That's the trick to Bonneville is is you have to make a pass to qualify, right? But then you have to back it up. So essentially, you have to do it twice. Correct. And the how
2: are those literally back to back, or how? Oh, uh, yeah, two hours. Two hours. Two hours okay. to make a
5: return pass and. My 500 single cylinder, I run as a two stroke, uh, just a a two stroke single cylinder 500, which is a big disadvantage.
3: This is a CRX or CRF motor in there?
5: Uh, CR500. Uh huh, okay. Yeah, vintage two stroke single. So this is a single cylinder? Yeah, single cylinder. Uh, The the current record that I have is at about, I think it's 156 or 157 miles an hour. Wow. And um, I'm really, uh, I've actually started a new chassis for this year again. Uh, That bike has been retired because it's just been on the salt too much. It's been compromised, and now it's time to build a new chassis, and I'm in the process of that. So when we're talking about recording these records
2: and these speeds, you say 156, is that like... Are they taking that at a moment, or do you have to keep that over a certain stretch of, you know, mileage or meters, or how do they record that officially? That's,
5: that's the challenge to it, because yeah. we've raced other events like the Mojave Mile and some other races where they take a snapshot. The trick at Bonneville is, is that you have to maintain that speed and average over one mile. Okay. Which may not seem like a lot until you're at 150 miles an hour on a two-stroke <laughs> oh, single yeah. cylinder, and you're just praying to make it out the back before the engine lets go. <laughs> um but it, it's uh, you have a anywhere from a one to a five mile run up right and then you have a time mile and then you have uh miles to shut down sure and uh, man i'll tell you it's uh you really come to grips with your fabrication your skills your engine building your tuning all have to come together at that given moment right and now when you're out there too because i would imagine like it, when you go out there and you make something that has the potential to be a
2: record-breaking run mm-hmm. do you have a thought process you know where you're halfway through the track and you're sitting there and you're thinking we should have done this and i have to wait
5: another year to do it absolutely yeah <laughs> that's the, that is the <laughs> that is the quintessential battle right of, of how far can you push everything and you know when you've gone too far because you don't make you don't make it to the finish line yeah and uh, that's a that's a very real thing that happens at bonneville and uh, last year we had a bike that has no fairings on there's different classifications sure. and we had a bike without fairings uh go over 185 miles an hour and that's you know, that's a wow, a real triumph for a big engine displacement. Um, Not to mention your forearms hanging onto that, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. At 180 miles an hour, that's crazy. It's windy.
3: Yeah. What was the motor in that bike?
5: Uh, that was actually a Kawasaki ZX14. Okay. And our our records span all the way down into the 125cc class. Sure. A couple of years ago, I wanted to get. Um, uh, some different kinds of records, and the production record uh, in 125cc was down at 57 miles an hour, and uh, I reset that record at about 93 miles an hour. Wow! Wow! And used a bone stock appearing YZ125 to do it. That's so. incredible.
2: Yeah. Now you mentioned earlier in the 500s, and I want to before we get into some of these records, quick, I want to ask you when you're talking about a single cylinder, right? You know, I'm sort of I'm a thumper guy just out of necessity, right? The dual sports, keep it simple in case something breaks. How though does that affect balance? Because we always talk about with these V-twin engines, you know, oh, it has really nice balance, you know, like and that kind of but when you're with one sort of cylinder, do you know I mean, is that it it is that has to be a challenge, right? It has
5: a massive disadvantage to start with a single cylinder. Yeah. For the, salt. the engine is not naturally balanced. Uh, nor does it have uh, optimal power output. Sure. Um, but a big part of the reason why I wanted to do it was because it's a compact package, and my belief is I can make it up in aerodynamics with uh, less frontal area to make up for the lack of power. Interesting. So you're talking about a lot of
2: fairing work, in particular on this one. Though. Correct. Yeah. What? Uh, how does how does
5: the rider himself affect that? Uh, the rider. Uh, i i am definitely the guy that builds the bikes that are the most difficult to ride i i build traditional lay down bikes right when i say lay down you're laying on your stomach sure. completely extended 100 percent, like you lay on a bed with your arms up and is that that is, all the pictures i see
2: that's how they're all set up is that is there any other configuration or is it all just reduce the wind resistance get slim Lie down and just try to, to cut that resistance down as much as possible.
5: Most uh, when we got to the salt flats, there really wasn't a, a lay down bikes. There wasn't really they, the, the the term didn't really exist for lay down bikes. Okay, they had been out there, sure. but they had gone away for years and years, and people were riding traditional based motorcycles. Uh, myself and the team, as we developed more and more of these lay down bikes, they've become very popular, right? Because people saw us go out there with relatively stock engines. Um, going 20 to 30 percent faster than the existing records, and it's purely frontal area and aerodynamics, and and efficiency. You know, it's crazy how big of a difference that makes. And of course, we see that carry over now into
2: a lot of modern cars, even where we're getting higher horsepower outputages from the engine, but uh, we're getting better fuel economy just simply based on the aerodynamics of the vehicle. You know, um,
3: I'll wait till they come out with a lay down Prius, <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: i think that's next yeah um now when you talk about trying to you mentioned you know trying to get a few different records and that kind of thing is it important for you as a racer to be the guy in the bikers it more important for you as a fabricator to be the guy behind
5: the bike that made it go that's a really interesting question because uh omar and i have have been in both the driver's seat and the fabrication seat right. where we've uh been the primary constructor of a bike that we don't even race sure and it's it's uh one of the other things that our team does is we do what's called the concierge pit Mm -hmm. and Delvine's event we have a lot of people show up that are new racers and we really try to promote the sport and we want people to see that uh common guys in a house garage can fabricate and compete on a global scale right and To ensure that, when we're at the pits, um, when we're at the salt flats, we've actually gotten less runs in some years because of the concierge pit. And what that is is if somebody goes through tech and they don't have the proper equipment on their bike, they don't have something safety wired, they don't have metal valve stems, they can come over to our pit and we leave one lane open right by the tech inspection area where we volunteer the people, the manpower, and we've networked with the other teams to be able to find the parts that people need. Wow. And uh, we spend a lot of time helping other riders get out on the salt and making sure that they get their runs. But and then really,
3: that breaks your heart when they go out and break your record?
5: I'll tell you, it's uh, <laughs> it's a harsh reality because we actually worked on a bike that did take one of our records. Sure. And uh, he never would have been out there without us. And he came by and he apologized. And I said, hey, man, every record in this book is a borrowed asset. Right. It's well, going to the next guy.
2: Well, and I think there's probably, uh, for any sort of competitive person, there's an idea that you want to win, but you, you want to win against the best. Like, winning against somebody who's not performing. It's like, you know, if you're going to beat, you know, the 96 Bulls without Michael Jordan, who cares, right? If you're the best out there, you want to beat them with Jordan. Exactly. Right? So there's an, I think there's kind of an idea that maybe, hey, we could put you in a position to win because next year – you're going to be on the top of the
5: list. We're going to be coming after <laughs> exactly. you. Exactly. Right? If you beat somebody and they're not at their best, it's just a year before you're going to lose. That's it. That's <laughs> we it. know that they're coming back.
2: I like that attitude. So, though, do you think, though, I mean, for you, do you get more joy out of the fabrication or the writing?
5: It's it's a dead split for me. Is it? It is an absolute dead split. Right. Um, when you're on that salt, there is all you can see is one starter flagging you on, and you can see about four flags ahead in sure. the distance, and you go. Yeah, And you're the center of the universe. Everything is there for you to prove what you can do. That is That's awesome. the only place on Earth that you can yeah. really measure yourself that I've found, that I can measure all of my skills and talents all at the same time, and really prove to myself what what i'm made of and what i'm capable of and you know no blue and red lights are going to be coming at exactly you (laughs) You don't have to worry about dogs or gravel or 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 you know the 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 person backing out of their driveway you just it's a you know and and it's truly encouraged to go as fast as your bike will go
2: well i tell you you know i've asked you that sort of that question two different ways twice and the reason i'm asking you that is because i'm thinking in comparison to something like horse riding right where they have jockeys Mm -hmm. you know five foot two inches 105 pounds i'm thinking as you, you know from your perspective as a fabricator and a rider like do you ever build a bike and do you ever go we could find a 105 pound guy to get on this like we could get another you know six <laughs> miles an hour out of it or are you sitting there going no way like we're gonna i, I have to be the guy behind the controls
5: no that's uh, uh the production record in 125 when i took that yeah i rode into the tech area for for the teardown and um an impound, and we actually have to tear the engines down to certify a record. And I rode in, and everybody in there thought I was on my pit bike. Because right? they were like, you were on this bike? And I'm yeah. like, yeah. And they're like, and I mean, I'm a big, fat guy. Everybody does that. I'm built like a, you know. I, well, a, you are a stocky guy. I'm you a know? stocky what, guy. I'm yeah. not aerodynamic. Right. You know? And that's why my lay-down bikes are the direction I went, because – if you're gonna make a guy that's 250 pounds aerodynamic, the only prayer you have is laying me down. Right. You just yeah. you could keep getting wider left to right. You're just not you know top <laughs> exactly. to bottom. Exactly.
3: Is there some math in there where once you get the bike up to a certain momentum, it doesn't matter if you're 250 pound Bill or 125 pound Jason Omar? Does it does it, does it not matter anymore after that's a certain interesting. point? Interesting. Yeah. That's
5: actually a really good question, and it's something that we get asked uh, pretty much every show or every event we go to. And on the salt flats, weight is not your enemy. Right. It's one of the only forms of racing that weight doesn't really change. The The only thing it changes is the friction on the tire on the salt. And other than that, the, the weight of the rider can actually be an asset in a lot of situations because they can add traction with a heavier ah, rider.
2: Okay. Which, yeah, that would be my leading question to that is if there's actually some benefit maybe to keeping it a little more stable. Exactly. right yeah. And-
3: Let's let's make a point here that people need to understand too. Um, Delvin Delvin was talking about um, the class that you guys like to race in is the modified construction class, and so if 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 our listeners were to see the bikes you have, uh, in most cases they're not going to find a rear suspension on there because that's not your friend on the salt flats. But uh, if somebody's racing in the stock class or even i guess the pro stock class there's always some rear suspension on there and that's a drawback on those bikes right it you know
5: we we've toyed with it we've gone back and forth omar actually built a frame for the zx14 that had suspension incorporated into it mm. and um we uh, race an r1 with a heavily you know completely constructed frame sure and as delvin was saying we do race in special construction we we construct our bikes from the ground up the suspension um we think is a big advantage getting to and from the track or if the track conditions are rough but when the traction is smooth it it isn't it doesn't make any difference either way and so it's it's um it really depends on the conditions of the salt last year in particular we just had a really rough year sure and the suspension was a definite advantage but we've also gone to events where it's so smooth that it's actually disadvantaged, like Tom was saying. So it really depends on the conditions, and that's the hard part is, is figuring out what bike you're going to build, and it may not be the right year to run that bike, and hopefully you either have another bike or you just go out there and do the best you can.
3: So you take a few bikes down, you might just leave one on the trailer the whole time.
5: Correct. We took a we took a turbo fuel-injected panhead last year um, wow. that went out, and uh, that bike on its initial pass had a lot of prototype technology on a single-sided swing arm with center hub steering sure and some other pretty techy pieces on it it only made one pass at a 134 in it's maiden voyage the backup run was just enough to certify the record and then we went ahead and pulled it off because it it was just so rough it wasn't a good year to develop mm, that okay. chassis so I, I
2: have a question that's a little not not strictly land speed racing related but i'm interested if there's people out there who are just kind of listening that are casual riders and they're thinking "Wonder if there's any tips that uh, bill might have to get maybe a little more oomph out of my engine or maybe a little less wind resistance is there any sort of basic suggestions that somebody can do to a stock bike not to make it a land speed racer by any stretch of the imagination but maybe to make it more efficient i know it's kind of an abstract question but you know we talk about all this fabrication and we talk about things like you know suspension and that kind of stuff do you have any maybe basic suggestions for everyday riders
5: absolutely the 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 first thing i cannot recommend enough to people is um if you want your bike to maximize its performance pay for a custom tune really actually have somebody put the bike on a dyno and give you a tune to maximize your bike's potential interesting most factory tunes are easily 10 to 15 percent left on the table just with the tune Mm -hmm. and you can really get a lot out. And I'm not saying it just for maximum performance, as in peak horsepower, but tell the dyno person, tell your tuner what you're after, and they'll tune the bike to accommodate the kind of riding you do. If you ride around on city streets a lot, you don't want peak horsepower. You want mid-range torque and, right, it's an and acceleration, Yeah. Now, as far as aerodynamics go, that's an interesting one because how we test for aerodynamics on a lot of our bikes because we can't get them up to 150 to 180 miles an hour easily – We'll actually take the bike, go down the road at 70 miles an hour, do not change your throttle position, and change your body position to see if it goes up or down. And we actually have GPSs that that recalculate every tenth of a second. Right. And we watch if you change your body position without changing your throttle input and you have a flat piece of road, you'll actually find your body position that maximizes the bike you're on. So sort of as a simple illustration
2: of that, it'd be kind of like – v your knees out and then bringing it in and you could kind of feel that resistance a little bit or tucking down maybe below the curvature of that front fairing on some of these bikes where the wind maybe would shoot over you a little bit
5: correct right. and a lot of times we find that your seat position where you have your butt in relation to the saddle is critical sliding forward or back up or down right
3: Okay, so let's talk about team support. We've got listeners listening right now that think that they might want to go down and maybe they're not going to buy a bike and set one up, but they want to be a part of your team. And I know you guys always need help down there. Uh, what's the number I heard? For every for every racer, there's probably three or four people on the team that are supporting that one person, right? Correct.
5: On a typical team, that's that's the scenario. Sodium distortion is a little bit different because we support each other um, and, we, and we're all very experienced but we love new people to come down you don't need a specific bike set up for it and at the event they have what's called a run what you brung." Mm -hmm. you don't even have to register for a specific class right that's a time only event and we have people making very fast passes on that and by all means if somebody wants to go to the salt they can contact us through sound rider they can contact us through the website um and and People are free to contact us to ask us questions. I've helped look in tech bikes for people before they go down to say, oh, you need safety wire here, you need to safety wire that. And there's a lot of support for the individual that wants to go. And last year we had two people that have never run come down with us. Um, We actually had one person pitting with us, the other person pitting close by. And we're just there to help support them and and answer questions. And a lot of it's preparation before the race.
3: And somebody doesn't need to be mechanically inclined to work with a team. I mean, you could... Just have somebody help you and be the, the gopher person that day, right? Absolutely. There's... Or an umbrella girl or an umbrella boy. Like I was thinking, maybe I should have my own umbrella boy calendar. <laughs> yeah, I think that's
5: a good fit. That would be perfect. <laughs> right? But it is uh, carrying water, helping to carry electrical cords around, trying to, um, you know, at the event. One unique thing about the event, uh, Bonneville Motorcycle Speed Trials event, is completely run by volunteers, and I I I love it that there's seventy to eighty people. That will volunteer right. their vacations and come out and work and and Delvina obviously helps cover uh, their, their 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 you know rooms and their yep. boards. She talked about that a but little bit. I'll yeah. tell you, it's amazing to see these people come back year after year and they become part of our family. Yeah. And the support when they bring somebody new, a lot of people don't understand it's it's different when you're involved in the event right. than when you go as a pure spectator and we're always looking for more volunteers for the event. And I help to recruit for that because Without those volunteers, I don't get to race. And that's a great way to learn, too, right?
2: I mean, you Absolutely. just go down there, and then you start to pick up on some of the language and the way things work. And then the next thing you know, you're the one out there white-knuckling it at uh, 200 miles an hour.
3: Now, I seem to remember on one of the bikes that you raced one year, you couldn't actually run it until you got it to the start line but uh, the, the pit where you were at was several miles back, right?
0: Correct, yes, So how sir. did
3: you get the bike from there up to the start line?
5: <laughs> That's what you call the crew chief. Right. <laughs> he drew the short straw in life. So we have to put it on a trailer and trailer the bike all the way to the start area with a remote starter, unload when we get there, start the bike, run the bike, then they have to reload the trailer, chase me down to the finish area, and when I'm done racing, I pull off, and I have to wait to reload the bike on the trailer to haul it back to the pits. And it's it's uh, it's a lot of a rocket science project. Right. Yeah. And depending on which fuel we're running, a lot of those bikes were running alcohol, methanol. And if you're running that, you have to drain it out between runs because it can be so long between runs that you need to change that fuel out, and it'll actually erode and, and attack the aluminum and, and cause damage to the motorcycle. Oh, wow. So we have to drain that all out when we get back to the pits and then reprime the system when we go to race. So, uh,
3: yeah, so there's lots of jobs for people. Absolutely. Could be the fuel drainer. The fuel guy.
5: drainer, the fuel filler, the water filler. <laughs> the, they, they frequently put somebody on me because I get too involved in helping people, and I forget to drink water. They pretty much have somebody <laughs> following me around all day, yeah. beating me over the head saying, drink another water. You're right. not holding a bottle of water, you know. So. Well, and what I'm getting is the dirtier job you
2: volunteer for, the better name they give you. So if you want to <laughs> sling around fuel and push the bike, they'll call you chief. Exactly. Hey, chief, chief, get on <laughs> Exactly. man, we need some of that help well uh you know J- uh excuse me bill it's been great uh having you in today we want to wind up here because we're running just a little long on this segment can you just maybe plug the website if people do want to get in touch with you and they want to talk a little bit about how they can volunteer or if they're just interested in what you guys are doing where can they go to find out more
5: by far the best place to network is is bonneville motorcycle speed trials okay that's uh the the uh the website is i believe uh com.
3: Right. Yeah,
5: and that's uh, that's really the conduit that we've kind of funneled everything through. Sure. And then um, if, if people want to look up more about our team, it's um, SodiumDistortion.com, and that's our team's website. You and guys have a few cool videos up too, right? We have some videos yeah. up there that uh, we did a lot with. Um, we did a big movie, and Chad DeRosa put some of the videos up as well. And then, uh, by all means, we get a lot of interaction through Facebook. Um, sodium distortion racing on facebook that's Great. by far the most common way that people get a hold of us and daily we have inquiries and we help people find their way to the salt well that's awesome bill thanks again for being here on the Soundwriter show
3: yeah thank you for coming down and doing this with us
5: very happy to be here bill
3: woods land speed
2: racer and a founding member of sodium distortion thanks again for being on the Soundwriter show and we hope to see you out there on the salt flat sometimes this summer
5: looking forward to it thank you
3: gonna be right back with some tips and tricks
0: Support for SoundRider and The SoundRider Show is made possible in part by Southbound Honda and South Sound Honda Suzuki with stores in Lacey and Olympia. Their top-rated sales and service staffs provide a simple buying experience and the knowledge to keep your motorcycle running at its best all year long. To find out more, visit them online at SouthSoundHonda.com.
1: Hi, guys. This is Bill from Revit. You're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Hi, I'm Ray Coop. I'm from uh, Surrey, B.C., and uh, one of my favorite roads is probably curly creek road which runs up towards mount st helen between uh, wind river road <laughs>
2: Well, just riding into the last segment here on this January episode of the Sound Riders Show, and you know, a great show. And I want to uh, I want to give a special thanks to to our guest, uh, Dalvini Manning, who is with uh, the Bonneville Motorcycle Speed Trials, and of course, Bill Woods with the Sodium Distortion Land Speed Racing Team. What great interviews! Great people to have on. I learned so much about uh, about land speed racing. Um, like I said earlier in the show, just a segment I really didn't know too much about in motorcycles. I
3: was going to say you didn't know anything about it when you no, walked in here today. I know. I
2: really didn't. You know, All I know is that uh, they've got the salt flats down there. That's all I knew, and now I know so much more. So.
3: <laughs> and they put motorcycles on it. And
2: they put motorcycles on it. That's right. So, <laughs> okay. so, again, thanks to them for coming in. I uh, really enjoyed having the chance to talk to them. Now, of course, what we want to get to here in the last segment, like we always do, is a couple of tips and tricks. And uh, it's a new year, Tom. So, do you have some new tips and tricks?
3: I have new tips and tricks coming out of both ears. <laughs> in fact, I have I, – I, this is a two-parter. Oh, great. Yeah. So, uh, if you're skilled in using a GPS uh-huh. – this is part one, by the way. Right. Um, stop using it. Take a ride someday and turn the dang thing off and just look around and enjoy the scenery. And don't turn it on until you really – Need it. A lot of us will ride around with that GPS on all the time, always watching the clock or looking where we are, even though we already know where we are. That's true. And we're not trying to follow a route. We're out on the interstate or something. Turn the dumb thing off. That's, That's part one. That's the zen of motorcycling there. And then part two is mm-hmm. if you own a GPS and you don't know how to use it, you don't know how to route with it, you don't know how to load a route into it, you don't know how to find a gas station using right. it or whatever, learn how to use that puppy. Make a, sure. make a point of learning how to be a better user of a GPS so that when you get ready to start riding in, in the you know spring or whatever, uh, you've, you've upped your game a little bit.
2: Well, those are both great suggestions, I think. Uh, how long have you been using uh, GPS personally for motorcycling? Since
3: 2005.
2: Okay, so kind of at the forefront there. Yeah. Yeah. 12 years. Well, uh, both X... Ex- oh,
3: oh, is that 13?
2: Or 2017, so, right? Yeah. Right, 12 years. Flash forward ahead to the 2018 show. We can talk about it again, right? Um, the uh, Those are great suggestions, and mine is a little bit in line with that. And my suggestion is pretty simple. It's 2017. If you need some new gear, go out and buy it.
3: That's it, huh? That's my
2: tip. You know Yay. why? Here's, here's why, though. Because you know, you come out of the holidays, you take care of everybody, your friends, your families, and that kind of thing. And a lot of times you know, some of these bigger retailers, especially online retailers, will have some sort of post-Christmas sales. Oh, okay. So you're
3: saying take advantage of some holiday, post-holiday discounting.
2: Take advantage of some post-holiday discounting and do it with the authority that Derek from the Sound Rider show said, you know what, no reason to feel guilty about it. You took care of your friends and family. Go out there and take care of yourself.
3: Yeah, and when you get to the last screen on the cart, and it says, uh, "Type in the promotional code. Right. Type in uh, Derek Seventeen. Yep. All in caps. Derek Seventeen. <laughs> wherever right. you are, I don't care if you're on Revzilla, Tour Tech, Soundwriter. Wherever you are, yeah. Just put it in and see what happens.
2: We need to start a, uh, a social media campaign. Hashtag Derek Seventeen, and uh, <laughs> we'll see if we can't get any of the uh, we can't, We'll see if we can't get any of the big manufacturers and our retailers to take advantage of that. But no, in all honesty, though, a lot of times, you know." When we talk about things like jackets, which high-quality jackets can be pretty expensive, sometimes those models get discontinued. Oh, and yeah. uh, in January now, you can save a couple of hundred bucks. And if you've got an old jacket that's a little you know, raggedy, or if you've been riding around in a hooded sweatshirt and it's time to maybe get an armored jacket, get out there and check it out and go ahead and buy yourself some new gear.
3: Yeah, if you're riding around in a hooded sweatshirt, Please, buy yourself some new gear. Well, you
2: know, we see it, though, quite a bit, especially here in uh, Seattle, a lot of, uh, you know, sort of the cafe racers and that kind of thing, tennis shoes, uh, hooded sweatshirts, and uh, there's plenty of ways to look good on the bike. You
3: more so than me because I'm usually asleep by then.
2: Right. (laughs) (laughs) But 7.30 rolls around, that's it, lights out, right?
3: (laughs) All righty, folks, that's our January show. We want to uh, thank you all for listening in. And I encourage you to uh, s- subscribe to SoundRider if you don't already. Yep. And I uh, want you ride safe, ride well, ride often, and don't ride like my mother.
2: And please don't ride like my mother either. We will see you in February. Thanks for tuning in on the SoundRider Show.
1: The SoundRider Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patients of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner, but please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of mixed media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.